0: This is a Branded Podcast from Postscript Studios.
1: We are headed into an uncertain future for the climate, but the range of possible scenarios is getting clearer. Some countries are still clinging to a goal of keeping global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius this century. That's theoretically doable, but doubtful. The United Nations says a rise of two to three degrees is more likely. That kind of warming, it'll bring economic disruption and suffering, but we've likely avoided the worst-case scenarios, thanks to the progress made in clean energy. And that has experts feeling conflicted.
0: People who are deep in the industry of trying to address issues in climate change um, flip-flop day to day from the sort of the skepticism, the difficulty ahead of us, to actually the just amazing opportunity we have to actually make it happen.
1: That's Nick Broad. He's a senior vice president at DNV. DNV is a company that assists with risk management from global transformations, and Nick runs a team that implements efficiency and other demand-side programs in North America. From new devices and controls to business models to consumer interest, he sees continued innovations in how we manage demand.
0: Every few weeks, frankly, in this industry, we see new technologies that show us that there is endless potential to make things more and more efficient and more and more connected to the supply side of this transition.
1: And on the supply side, the unstoppable progress in renewables and batteries are putting net zero grids within reach.
2: We definitely have a lot of the technologies in wind and solar and storage, and there's continue to be breakthroughs.
1: That's Marion Hill. She's also a senior vice president at DNV. She focuses on the supply side technologies that are pushing the energy transition. And there's a lot to focus on. In the next decade, solar PV will be the dominant source of new capacity globally. Battery storage costs could fall another 80% by 2050. And offshore projects will dramatically push the cost of wind downward.
2: We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars being invested in the energy transition and looking to double and triple over the next decade.
1: Tripling deployment of clean energy is only the start. There's a vast difference in speed and scale between 1.5-degree and 2-degree warming scenarios. And that challenge is what makes people like Marion and Nick show up every day ready to move solutions forward.
0: Yeah, so while the pace of change is probably not fast enough today for any of us looking at the future ahead of us, uh, the opportunity is endless.
1: We have most of the tools available to slow climate change. So where are the opportunities? And what are the bottlenecks to growth? In this special episode, produced in partnership with DNV, we feature a conversation with Nick Broad and Marianne Hill about the trends reshaping supply and demand. The conversation starts with Nick talking about innovations on the demand side.
0: So I think, you know, the the biggest shift has been uh, energy efficiency used to be pretty simple. You know, you, you change this and you save X kilowatt hours. And for 30, 40 years... That sort of has been a big part of the structure of the industry. What we're seeing and what I expect to see a lot more of is a shift to saying, you know, we need to see a peak reduction between 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. in these eight zip codes or these feeder circuits. And we need to, how do we get that? We can get that from a combination of uh, technologies. It could be plugged in EVs. It could be heat pump water heaters, HVAC units. It could be homes. It could be businesses businesses that ability to see that level of granularity control did not exist until probably the last few years. And that's only accelerating.
1: So Marion, as you're tracking traditional renewables, j- give me a sense of the scale of deployment that's, that's happening in those spaces.
2: Yeah, there's some really large portfolios that are currently being financed. When we look at the size of the offshore wind portfolio, Vineyard Wind secured $2.3 billion loan for their vineyard financing our NG recently closed an eight hundred million dollar loan for a portfolio of wind and solar assets, or intersect power that secured two point four billion dollar loan for a portfolio of solar and storage assets. These are tremendous size of portfolios and financings that are really starting to reflect the size of financing in oil and gas or nuclear industries and attracting some major larger players to come into the the space and be able to write these type of check sizes. There is constant evolution. There's constant innovation in the technology that we're working on. Across all the spaces of wind, solar, storage, every year there's new technologies and new breakthroughs and new risks that need to be managed.
1: What have been the big bottlenecks that have... um presented challenges for companies financing or deploying these projects. Obviously, COVID created all sorts of supply chain issues and labor issues. Um, I'm just curious, how what, what have been some of the immediate issues that the industry has been dealing with, and how might those play out long-term?
2: Yeah, supply chain has wreaked havoc, particularly in the solar and storage industry, but also in the wind industry in 2023, and we'll see a much lower install capacity in 2023 of renewables than in 2022 or than what was projected due to supply chain constraints. We will be working through a lot of those supply chain constraints, and we have to work through those supply chain constraints to double and triple the flow of manufacturing facilities to enable the energy transition to happen. But the entire life cycle of a project needs to be rethought. With the IRA coming in, Everyone's business models need to change and every step of the process needs to accelerate and be streamlined. We'll look at that through digitalization. We have to look at it from a permitting perspective, from an interconnection perspective, from a financing perspective to enable all the different pieces to flow at a much faster pace to get the pieces coming together and to get these projects online In a shorter period of time, with a higher probability of success from early prospecting through to the the commissioning of a project, a higher success rate, so that we can be much more effective with the capital and the human resources that we're applying in the renewable development phase. Nick, what about
1: on the demand side? Have has COVID presented any significant challenges?
0: Oh just a few. Uh, <laughs> I mean similar to um, to Marion's comments. Uh, it's wreaked absolute havoc with supply chains. Uh, it's wreaked havoc with the sort of nature of the portfolio of buildings that can be addressed uh, in a utilities program or utilities territory. We have dozens of quantitative examples of giant projects that uh, won't complete won't happen because of you know you just can't get the chiller or you can't find the people to do the installations. And that is um, systemic everywhere. Um, I think we are optimistic we might sort of see some return to normality on that end of the supply chain, you know, into next year, maybe later next year. Uh, But it's been hugely damaging and hopefully just a short-term problem on the long path of the energy transition.
2: There was a slowdown due to COVID in the amount of installed capacity, but we'll be able to ramp back up. Um, we were also dealing with a, a cliff in 2020 with the PTC uh, running out anyways. And so the industry did need to adapt to installing less wind power. So it, this type of disruption is enabling us to think differently and act differently. And we, if we don't change the way that we're doing things, we will not be able to meet uh, the global climate warming objective. So we have to be continued to be disrupted to ensure that we are rethinking how every step of the process fits together so that we're doing it differently and more effectively going forward.
1: So beyond the current disruptions, what are the other barriers to scale in renewable
2: generation and storage? Permanent is a barrier, interconnection is a barrier, um, and capital flow to projects. Supply chain scaling is is really critical to get us there more. So projects everything. Coming in. Everything. <laughs> everything. But you no, know, but the the these are barriers that we can overcome and utilities are looking to how they will relook at their interconnection pipelines, um, and looking at how do we do permitting differently, uh, how do we streamline? There's new a lot of new digital startups that venture cap raising a tremendous amount of capital right now to to rethink the entire process and ensure that we have better data at every step of the process to make it more efficient.
1: Nick, how about on the demand side? What are the other barriers that you see?
0: Um, you know, probably the big, the big barrier is the. Pace of the legislative to regulatory to action cycle, especially as as it relates to sort of utility planning. Um, This is not to sort of stray into the political side of that, but when you're trying to plan acceleration of action. slowness is not the way forward. You know, piloting things for two years to see if they work, to see if they can then scale in five is not fast enough. It it can work, but not not from a scale perspective. Uh, I think similarly that, you know, the second barrier I see a little bit of is probably skepticism. Uh, especially on the demand side, a lot of uh, energy efficiency or demand response is like if you invest this, you will see this return, this response. But really, the complexity of what happens in buildings or portfolios of buildings uh, is tied to occupancy and weather and production and all kinds of other variables that make it quite a hard thing to really persuade people what they should do, how to take the right action. Uh, I think the sort of the other one, or two others maybe here. Uh, in terms of electrification, which is expected to expand and scale uh contractor appetite, the people who actually install and sell stuff is a huge uh, i say it 's an opportunity. More than a barrier, but it's definitely a barrier. Even when I have talked to contractors uh, in my own home, you know, their first thing is, well, you know, here's an efficient gas furnace, and I'm like, no, I want I want a heat pump, <laughs> water heater. <laughs> Please give me what I want. And a lot of people say, you don't want that; it's not going to work. So there's a whole workforce development uh, mindset change amongst the contract community needed. Uh, that's a great opportunity. All of this stuff is uh, not going to be cheap. It's not that it's going to be expensive, but it's going to happen in an inequitable way unless equity is ad- addressed. I think one of the barriers I see is if we see too many people left behind or negatively impacted by all kinds of efficiencies, all the way up to you know the ban of the ban of gas cars, which which I support. Um, but you know, what do you say to someone who can't afford a car if if cars are not affordable by the time those laws come into place? What does it
1: mean to bake equity considerations into project development on the generation side, Marion?
2: It's thinking about communities. How does a community benefit? What type of say does a community have in the governance of a project? Can they get 50% equity of the project and 50% governance of a project? How are we assuring that there's local jobs being developed We need to be considering these projects very fundamentally to be ensuring that our communities or the projects have a social, have a local cost, a local environmental cost, because we have the visual effects, we have the the noise effects, we have the construction effects. How do they benefit? How do we help these communities transition and and benefit from the projects and from the energy transition. So there's there's a government's perspective that we need to be considering in the development of projects and then in the operations so that the revenue does flow back into the community.
1: So Nick, you recently uh, went to your team and asked them to write a series of thought pieces on the energy transition dealing on dealing with everything from electrification to regulation to challenges that need to be solved in the market. And you came away from that series feeling more positive than when you started. Why?
0: ultimately because the alternative is it would essentially be to give up uh, and that's not what we're about so there were two uh, two things really that really pushed me over the line you know i think one was obviously i've i've seen and i work with a fantastic group of people peers colleagues even competitors out there that there is there's incredible things going on in our industry and that's hugely optimistic to me just the commitment, passion. I see uh, younger people, not just younger people, but particularly younger people coming into this industry, trying to make a change. Uh, The other uh, was that, you know, I've been in the US for 20 years now. Uh, I think back to 2002, where just the subject of climate was, wasn't really ever in the newspaper, even in the New York Times. Uh, now it's everywhere. And I think that directionally, that's a fantastic shift in consumer mindset, which I think will continue um, as more and more people see the sort of actual effects of climate on their lives. The other was really the passing of um, the IRA. Which you know, for the first time, a major piece of directional legislation that's going to pave the way for acceleration of action in a way I don't think we've seen before in the US. So that was uh, that was probably the uh, the final piece of what said, okay, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on the convinced side that we're gonna get there.
2: I am more optimistic about the transition because we're more. Sensitive and aware of the costs of climate change. There's a greater percentage of society that is aware of the costs of climate change, and there's a greater percentage of society that is dedicated to making a change. And we need as much dedication to making a change to change the regulations that we need to accelerate the build out. There are many challenges and obstacles ahead of us to get there. It's not going to be an easy path by any means, but we have more people willing to fight the fight. To, to make the changes uh, and to make the energy transition a just and equitable energy transition.
1: So time ticks on. We're having this conversation toward the end of the year in 2022. And um, I, I want to close out by asking what you think the big storyline in your world of 2022 was and what you think the big storyline of 2023 could be. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Nick, how about you?
0: Um, in the US, the, the RA was the big story and will still be the big story. I think, you know, the biggest story really is what happened, is happening in Europe, that a energy-centric war uh, has proven how important it is to have uh, energy independence, energy security, and clean green energy and not be reliant on fossil fuels uh, to the extent people have become. Uh, and that will continue, I think, to be really the big story through This winter, we will see, uh, hopefully, optimistically, how we sort of, how Europe at least comes out of this following winter.
1: Marion, what's the big storyline in your world from this year?
2: 2022 was a year of pause. Oxen tariffs supply chain challenges prevented a lot of build out of, of solar and storage facilities. And then IRA comes in and then all project developers are rethinking how do they build out these portfolios? What projects do they prioritize? How do they restack? What are the financing structures look like? So 2022 was a, a build year. It was a, a that flatline year of rebuilding, rethinking of business plans, rethinking of business models and how to build um, going forward. And so 2023 is the start of the IRA program and it is the start of the new century. It's the start of the new era of where we're going to be going and how do we start accelerating that? How do we think about 2X? Well, how do we think about 3X and how do we implement 2X and 3X in our, our development cycles and our build out and our manufacturing? And so it's you know, building up to that excitement of, hey, okay, now we're going to be doing this. Now this is real. We're at this beginning of the wedge of the build out of solar storage, wind, and you know we're on that acceleration path.
1: Again, that was Marion Hill and Nick Broad, two senior vice presidents at DNV. DNV provides advice and assurance to customers across the spectrum of the energy transition from generation to end use in solar, storage, wind, grid planning, hydrogen, carbon capture, and more. To learn more about how experts like Nick and Marion can help you accelerate the energy transition, go to dnv.com slash catalyst.